0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So Father, as we come to your word, we want to see Jesus. We want to marvel. We want to keep worshiping like we've been doing and we want you to change us from the inside out. So please come by your spirit, through your word. Open our eyes. Give us, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to worship in spirit and in truth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just wanted to take just one moment to, to testify that Jesus is still teaching and working. So last week, you know, we, we taught on Acts 3. And this healing of this this lame man. And I had someone come up after service and say, I had this horrible pain for a while. and It's not going away. And I'm not really someone that does this, but I want to just feel like I should at least pray for healing in light of that text. And we prayed. And just later in that day, got a message saying, the pain is gone. And then a message later in the week, the, the pain is still gone. And so I say that, to testify to Jesus. We want to testify that He is still moving and working on, on His schedule according to His purposes. So we praise God when He gives us gifts like that, especially Christmas week, right? What a great gift to go on Christmas week without pain. And I know there's a lot of you here who have pain, and we want to pray for you and trust God for His purposes and plans for you as well. Let's dive in here. Our text today is one that talks about just this exclusive claim of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. That's the main thing going on in this text, an exclusive claim of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. This is a truth that Christians have loved and cherished since the very beginning, as we've seen in Acts over and over again. But I want us to take a moment and just kind of realize the air that we breathe in our culture today so we can understand how this is going to land on a culture like the one we live in. So let me, let me show you what I mean. Kids in the room, has anyone, anyone ever asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Anyone ever asked you that? Right? Probably people have asked you that. Now, no one used to ask that question because you would be whatever your parents were. In other words, if your parents were farmers, guess what you were going to be? You were going to be a farmer. If your parents were bakers or blacksmiths, you were gonna be a baker or a blacksmith. But now, from a very young age going forward, we value self-discovery. Right? Figure out who you are, what you want to do, what makes you happy, right? You do you. So we've moved to this very uh, from a very culturally informed, family-informed model to a very inward look within ourselves, and the world we live in tells us you do whatever makes you happiest in the moment. You choose who you are. You choose who you'll love. You choose who you trust. You choose what gender you'll be. You choose what church you'll go to this year based on how happy they're making you. So this individualized approach is kind of everywhere in the culture that we breathe, and this individualized approach tends to Question authority, prize individuality, institutions are looked at with suspicion, right? That, that goes for places like the CDC. Anyone questioning them lately? Or churches, right? There's a lot of people questioning churches in these days. Different groups question different authorities based on their opinions of what's going on. Instead of, of looking to them, You figure out who you are without all that institutionalized stuff. And then you express that individual self because by golly, everyone needs to know what you think about everything, right? That's the the law of our day. And this leads, this is what it's led to, a world of unlimited choices and businesses and places scrambling to cater to our choices and capitalize on us having this freedom as easy as one-click shopping and same-day delivery. Anybody use that this Christmas season? As you realize you forgot that thing for that person. And in this world of choices, relativism, pluralism, tolerance reign. So what does that mean? That means that everyone gets to choose what is true to them... There are lots of options out there and we're not supposed to question or challenge beliefs because that could offend someone. Unless, of course, it's one of the truths or beliefs that's not in fashion. Then we should cancel them and throw them out to the wayside. The self-discovery and self-expression and all these choices only get amplified with all the ways we have to quickly post, like, share, tweet, snap, Instagram and comment and craft our online personas. I'd add Instagram and tweet to those under 40 that still use social media and not just go after Facebook all the time. But here, here's what's a little bit scary about all of that. What that leaves us with is a world where we are kind of stuck with ourselves. Right, I'm stuck with me in that world, with My opinions and and my thoughts. We have so much information, generally a very isolated people, loneliest generation that our country has ever seen by all sorts of statistics, Christian and secular, and we value our individualized priorities, preferences, and expression over any kind of thought for the community or outside authority. Now, what I'm not saying is that that's all bad. Sometimes, authority needs to be questioned. And it's actually good to be the individual that God has made us to be. I'm not saying it's all bad. But I'm sure you can see some of the dangers as well. Right? I'm not up here saying, let's get back to the good old days. I'm not even old enough to say, let's get back to the good old days. right? We live, though, in a sin-sick world and a nation. There are no good old days to get back to. But we do need to realize the air. That we breathe and the culture that we live in, and where we are right now, and this is it. And the main reason I bring that up is because we need to think about how an exclusive message of an exclusive Savior bringing an exclusive salvation because we are sinners will land on a culture like ours. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, in a culture that was pretty close to ours, if you look at the sins happening there and the the relativism there and the, the pluralism there. He says the world's going to think you're weak and foolish. And we're beginning to see that and that's because it's built into them and into us in some ways. So as we, as we say, you need Jesus and Jesus alone and we celebrate that and Bruce prays it and David welcomes it and Chuck plans every song around it and I preach it week in and week out, we've got to realize the culture goes, what? An exclusive claim? Because I'm a sinner for my choices they don't even have that category it won't even make sense it will seem crazy and out of step with everything that they know and here's what can happen we can be tempted to think therefore we need to find other ways to say it or we can be tempted to think that we need to change the culture other ways We've got to fight this battle over here or, or that battle over there and try to win the day rather than stay exclusively with Jesus Christ. And so what I hope that we'll see in this passage is that, is that the hope for us and for the world around us, for the neighborhoods and for the nations, is to continue to deeply trust and widely proclaim the gospel of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ alone. This is the only thing in the world, that hasn't changed for 2,000 years. That still does what it does 2,000 years later, which means it's tried, it's tested, it's true, it's not a fad. It is Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, and we can trust Him. So let's dive in to our text. Enraged rulers and the expansion of the king. Let's look at verses 1 to 3 together first. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, remember Peter's been preaching this Sermon from chapter 3 after he healed this man. So he's speaking to the people. And in the middle of speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day because it was already evening. So Peter has done this miracle He's preached resurrection from the dead. He's preached repentance, that times of refreshing may come. And as the rulers of the status quo religion hear about it, instead of rejoicing with the people, that this man who was lame for 40 years is now walking and leaping and praising God. right? You're a religious ruler. you think you'd want to hear people praising God. But instead they come and they're not happy. It says they're greatly annoyed. These leaders had lots of power in this Jewish Religion. So notice they're annoyed about two things, this text says. Number one, they're outraged that these guys are teaching. And number two, they're outraged by what they're teaching, that is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So first of all, they're annoyed that they're teaching at all. I mean, these apostles had quite some nerve to teach at all. They were not priests. They're not workers in the temple. They're not scribes. They're not any official religious party. They have no delegated authority here to preach to the people. How dare they teach? And second of all, this teaching was not very helpful to the scribes or the Pharisees or the Sadducees. It was upsetting all the normal patterns and rhythms. I guarantee that they're preaching exactly what gets the priests and the Sadducees' power. They're probably fine with it. But right now they're upsetting everything. Normal patterns and rhythms are going out the window. Jesus had been here teaching about a kingdom that was not compatible with their status quo, and they thought we've finally gotten rid of him. Right? Things can go back to normal. But now here were these apostles not only preaching the same thing, but saying that Jesus was alive. That would have been annoying. So they're greatly annoyed. These apostles are not simply resisting cultural authority on the basis of their preferences or opinions. They are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaiming what they've seen, reasoning from the Scriptures and letting it define who they are and what they're devoted to. They are all in with Jesus Christ. They're submitting to the proper authority informed by the Scriptures and Jesus Himself, which means kids... One of the lessons for all of us, but maybe you at the youngest of ages in the kind of world we're living in means that it's a good thing for you to learn and be devoted and listen to God. How do you do that? You read your Bibles and you learn at a young age that you cannot be happier than learning about who God says you are and learning it's a good, happy thing to obey Him. And if you learn that now, you'll be ready someday if following Jesus gets hard or someone wants to pick on you because you love him. And we see that's what happened. But the apostles had learned this lesson. So what happens here? As, they, as these leaders come, well, the leaders decide it's late in the day. We don't know really what else to do with these guys. So let's arrest them and throw them in jail and at least stop the bleeding for the night. And this is exactly what Jesus said would happen in Luke 21, 12. He says, They will lay their hands on you, and persecute you and deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And we're going to see all that happen in Acts, and it's beginning to happen here. And yet though they are chained, the apostles are chained, what we're going to see is the Word of God is not chained. You cannot stop the Word of God. So look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the Word believed... And the number of men came to about 5,000. So picture this scene. I mean, this is ridiculous. This almost seems crazy when you think about what's actually happened in this moment. Peter has just said to the people, You crucified Jesus. God raised Him up. Repent so that times of refreshing may come and know that Jesus is coming back one day soon for eternal joy or eternal destruction. Not exactly a popular message to begin with. And it says that as they were speaking, the religious leaders who these people were looking to for their authority, for their wisdom, for all their counsel come, and they take these men and they drag them away. Can you imagine this? Imagine I'm up here, right? Imagine there's a bunch of unbelievers out there who don't yet know Jesus, and while I'm speaking and I'm saying repent, I get dragged away to prison. Now to me, it doesn't seem like that would make it very popular. Hey, you guys want in? (laughs) Preaching while I'm on my way to prison? And yet here 5,000 men are saved. And probably more women and children. This doesn't make any natural sense. Any. But this is the pattern we see throughout history. As the people of God are oppressed... As they're cast off by society, the word of God spreads and frees others in the gospel. There are many nations and rulers and empires that have tried to snuff out Christianity and every single time they have passed away and the gospel and God's people have remained. Over and over again. And in fact, when when Christianity gets really popular and legalized, often Christianity begins to wane and become apathetic. When Christians are chained and oppressed, the gospel seems to run. And this is what we see here. We saw this in 1 Peter with the Roman Empire. Where is the Roman Empire today? Back in the day, it was like, this thing is never going to fall. The power is so great, it's so expansive, but where is it today? And yet, is the gospel still running today? Is the kingdom of Jesus thwarted by the alternate kingdoms of man? And the answer is an obvious no. You are evidence sitting in this room that the gospels continue to run while all other kingdoms have fallen. Just like in the death and resurrection of Jesus, suffering and death always leads to new life in the gospel economy. So here's a question for us right now in this moment. Do we have these kind of supernatural paradigms of accomplishing spiritual revitalization and revival that line up with resurrection power from the dead, from suffering, or do we seek to accomplish this in our own planning, and our own power? Do we have these kinds of paradigms? Like, like bring on the suffering. Bring on the pain. Bring what may, because that's when resurrection happens. That's when new life springs up. Or do we seek to accomplish this in our own cute, clever planning and grabbing for power? Right now, there are lots of campaigns to revitalize and revive our nation in a hundred different ways through means other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a lot of conflation of political and social means with the kingdom of God. They are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. At the center of the kingdom of God is the message of Jesus Christ. Him crucified, raised from the dead to save people from their sins. That is the exclusive message of the kingdom of God. And as people hear this message, that message, this gospel, as they hear it, they see their sin, they see their Savior, and they want to follow Him, and they're changed from the inside out. I mean, later in the book of Acts, we will see this violent Roman soldier who was probably responsible for beating the apostles to a bloody pulp. He hears the gospel from them. He is saved, and what happens? He immediately invites them into his home and washes the very wounds he inflicted on them. So I'm not saying I don't want change. I don't want to see people transformed. There's all sorts of fruit that flows from the gospel, but that is not the same thing as worldviews or campaigns that seek to legislate morality. It's not the kingdom of God. I'm not saying don't care about it. I'm not saying don't go there. I'm saying it is not the kingdom of God. The gospel is the power of God, and that power cannot be mimicked by political or cultural substitutes. Never has been, never will be. This is the exclusive message of the gospel. So here's the question for us In our day and age, heading towards 2021, with all the craziness that's gone on, do we still believe that the preaching of the gospel and desperate prayer is sufficient to change the world? Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? You're not just amen when it's fun here and we're preaching and man, we're all in. Do you believe it on Monday morning when you read the news? Do you believe it on Thursday when you, when you get the call from the doctor? That's hard. Do you believe this? That the gospel and desperate prayer are still sufficient to change the world? Point number two. The examining rulers and the exclusivity of Jesus. In verses five to seven, the rulers gather together the next day. Right, They're planning. They're going to figure out how to shut this thing down and they call the apostles in. And they ask them, by what name or by what power they made this lame man walk. Now I want to point out one thing that struck me this week as I was remembering who these rulers were. If you go today, this afternoon, and you read John 18, when you get home today, you'll see some familiar names. You'll see Annas, and you'll see Caiaphas, listed as some of the very men who put Jesus on trial. And you'll remember that when they were before when he was before Annas and Caiaphas, what did that end in? Crucifixion. And then, one last thing we should remember is that while Jesus is being questioned before he was sent to the cross, Peter was watching it all unfold and denying Jesus. Now, here he is before these same rulers for the name of Jesus. Imagine you're Peter. You've seen what Caiaphas and Annas do. You are here proclaiming the name of the one that they crucified. Kids, can you imagine how scary that would be? Because sometimes we can just read these stories and not put ourselves in this place, but I have to imagine Peter's going, these guys are not generally for me. I'm not expecting a great hearing with them. These rulers could put them in prison and hurt them if they keep talking about Jesus. So I just want to stop and ask myself, what would I do if someone told me to stop talking about Jesus? Kids, what would you do if someone said, stop talking about Jesus? Well, we know what Peter did the first time. Right? He denied Him. He, he ran away. He, he hid. But now the difference is the Holy Spirit. Peter is now emboldened and empowered by the Spirit of God to say that he is with Jesus. Let's read his answer together. It's a little bit different than last time when he said, I don't know that guy. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, that Jesus is the one that healed the lame man and made him walk and leap. And then we see him say what he keeps saying to people. He is not out to win popularity contests. He says, you crucified him. But he's alive, and he keeps teaching and working. We don't teach on our own authority. It's Jesus teaching through us. We don't heal in our own authority. It's Jesus healing through us. He is a greater authority than you. That's what they're saying as they say this. He is the king of kings. And notice Peter just keeps his foot on the gas. He says not only that, but you're guilty according to the very Old Testament you're supposed to know so well. Psalm 118.22 that predicted that the very people were supposed to be responsible for building up the people of God. The builders, the priests, the Sadducees, the temple folks, the people of God are supposed to be helped by them to see the Messiah And instead, when he came, they rejected him and they crucified him. And then he keeps going with the offensive language. We have to hear this from the perspective of the rulers. Not only did they reject the cornerstone of the whole building, but in him is salvation for all peoples. He didn't just come to save the Jews. He came to save the world. There's salvation in no one else, not in Abraham or Moses or David. There is salvation in Jesus Christ alone, and it's for the whole world, not just one nation. Our God is a global God. He sent His Son to bring about salvation for all peoples who would call upon His name. And here is the evidence right in this room this morning. And that's what we're going to see as Acts continues. The gospel spreading far beyond Jerusalem heading towards the ends of the earth. And the evidence is here in this room today. This is where all of history is heading. And why we love missions at Bethlehem, it wasn't our own idea. This is why we love it at Bethlehem, because we're joining God in his global proclamation that Jesus Christ is the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, which is why Revelation 5, 9-11 to is so precious to us. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the Earth, what these apostles are declaring to these rulers is that God's global purpose was alive and well, just like the resurrected Jesus was alive and well. I was trying to explain what this would have been like to the rulers to Stone last night. He was the last one awake, and he was asking me about my sermon. And I said, "Have you ever seen the game "Whack-a-mole" at the arcade?" And uh, he said, I've, "I think I've seen it in movies or something. So apparently I am old enough for my illustrations to already be outdated. <laughs> but it's that game, right, where you, you've all played it at the arcade where the moles pop up and you, you hit them with a hammer and then another one pops up and you, you hit them with a hammer. And as I was studying this week, I thought that just must have been what it felt like to be these rulers. <laughs> Playing this game. What it must be like to be anyone who tries to snuff out Christianity. They thought they had snuffed out Jesus on the cross I and mean, when you kill him, You put him in a tomb with a huge rock, you give a whole guard of soldiers to it, and you just think, this thing is done, finally. And now here is this growing movement that cannot seem to stop. You arrest the people in front of the crowd and 5,000 people join the kingdom. Talk about being greatly annoyed. Like, what else are you going to do? The religious leaders realize that their system of power and control and stability is being shaken to the core. By these claims. And yet, here is the claim that has been the claim since then. It's what saved us if we've trusted in Jesus. It's what all of our lives are about proclaiming. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's a day coming soon when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the only name that can save. A name in the Bible represents personhood. This is who he is. There's no other person, no other name by which we can be saved. Do you still believe this? Is this still the most precious truth to you? Are you desperate and prayerful that our neighborhoods and nations would hear the name of Jesus Christ? Because when we hear the apostles say this we shouldn't just hear proclamation we should hear motivation. They're saying we can't stop because the world needs to hear. We can't stop because there's no other name. We can't talk about anything else. This is the most important. We won't be distracted. We won't be deterred because He is the one. He's it. It's not just proclamation. It's their motivation. Do we have that kind of Motivation. We must speak of the exclusive claims of salvation and authority of Jesus into a pluralistic world that has been taught there's no right or wrong outside of its own opinion because what else are we going to speak? We got nothing else. We must speak it because it's the only path to salvation and therefore how unloving would we be to not speak it? To not... Plan, strategize, and pray for how we can speak the name of Jesus to our neighbors. Support our global partners, like get on a Barnabas team, not because the thing to do at Bethlehem, get on a Barnabas team because you want to see the name of Jesus proclaimed to the nations. Some motivation behind all of it. How much would we have to be absolutely distracted from the most important thing in the world to fill our conversations and Facebook pages with all sorts of other agendas other than the exclusive claims of salvation found in Jesus Christ. Like how distracted and deluded with other things are we that we're not saying that, we're saying all this as if it's nearly as important. How silly is it to try and legislate a morality to a people that will rail against all authority? Wouldn't it be better to just keep speaking the message that hasn't changed for thousands of years and continues to thrive in places that oppose the people speaking it? We try to legislate this morality. Let me ask you, how well did you do following Jesus before He saved you? I think it's insanity what we're doing sometimes. Sometimes. If you're here today, you're still hanging around at Christmas, and your family brought you, and you're like, this guy is crazy yelling at us right now. I just want to say to you, it's true. I want to appeal just to the the truth, the the self-evidence of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way of salvation, and it is good for you to completely submit your life to Him. I just plead with you to realize that the Bible says all have sinned. That's all of us in this room. We are all sinners. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And everyone in this room has sinned deep down and you know it. It says our mouths are closed, stopped in Romans 3. You've hurt people. You've sinned. You've done things you shouldn't have done. You know it. And it's not just a bad thing you've done. It's an offense against a holy God. God. With no way to remedy it on your own apart from Jesus Christ and going your own way and pretending your sin isn't that bad has not helped you find a joy or peace that isn't shaken by circumstances. It's only helped you find temporary joy or peace that maybe numbs the pain for a bit. But Jesus stands ready to forgive your sins and lead you to true joy now and forever in His presence and under His good authority. So rather than being a people propagating all these agendas out on our own, doing the individualized thing, what do I hope for us? What do I hope for us in 2021? And I just hope that we're a people that is sticking close to Jesus. I know, uh, I know January 1st isn't magical, but I like to think of it that way sometimes. I do like to take advantage of these moments, right, where the calendar is going to turn. We're going to make resolutions. So I want to, I want to ask us as a people, what do we want to be about in 2021? What can, we, what can we grab hold of that's not dependent on if the pandemic goes away? It's not dependent on if the social unrest goes away. That's not dependent on if we stuff to wear masks or not. It's not dependent on... Who's in office? Is there anything? Do we have anything else that we could grab hold of? So look at verse 13. This is my, I'm actually stealing from Pastor Daniel's text next week, but I love this verse. So here's the ruler's response, at least in their minds. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And then what did they see? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So these, these rulers are trying to figure out where this boldness comes from in such common, uneducated men. Like, who are these guys? And they realize they've been with Jesus. They remind us of someone. <laughs> they've spent some time with someone. And what they didn't quite realize, what they didn't quite account for, is that Jesus was still with them by His Spirit. We've seen this in Acts. They are devoted to Jesus, devoted to His Word, to prayer, to walking with Him together as the people of God. And, and I'll just tell you, and I've said this to a few people, like I have not felt as stirred up such a holy agitation since I think I was 19 or 20 years old. That's what 2020 has done to me, just stirred me up like, How all in are you going to be for Jesus Christ? Like, I don't want a moment of my life, a moment discipling my kids, a moment in a counseling session, a moment in this row singing songs, a moment getting groceries, talking to a barista, a moment with my wife, a moment with any of you, a moment of any of it to be about anything other than this name. I want to be that extreme. I want to be that all in. I want to be that agitated towards a a holy passion, towards a life that matters because I'm with Him. That's what I want for us in 2021. I want to actually exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, in every moment, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ, for that name. If you go and you read a few of my Friday pastoral letters. If you're not getting those, you can talk to Rachel Diveg. She's an all-star about this thing called the Acts Ambition and me wanting us to do this together. And it's really simple, right? It's Sunday school stuff. I want us to meditate and memorize the Word individually and together. Want to be a part of that as Christians? I mean, what else are we going to do? I want us to pray fervently, individually, and together. Be all in in the Word. Be all in in prayer. I want us to pray for unbelievers in our lives and spread the gospel individually and together. I'm just going to show you this. So we're going to memorize this here, Acts 4. And so Emily and Rachel have made this sheet that gives you a schedule. Man, I want families doing this. and memorize Acts 4 together. I want the church doing this. Kids, you can get your nights doing this, right? Stone just got his night, and it was awesome. We had a little ceremony, and I loved it, right? Because he's hiding God's Word in his heart. We can do this together. want us to do this together. want us to pray together. Jump into the Bible reading plan with us. But right now, in 2021, Pastor David said it already, but what kind of resolves are you making? I don't want you to read the Bible because you're supposed to read the Bible. I don't want you to pray because you're supposed to pray. I want you to go, Lord, create in me a holy agitation. Help me be settled with nothing less than you. Help me not leave your word or prayer every day until I see something I can love and worship over and carry with me and love my family with and love my brothers and sisters with and, and be stirred up towards holiness with why do I want this? Because I want us to be a people sticking close to Jesus together. And I believe that the prayer, being devoted to prayer and the gospel, is still enough to change these South neighborhoods and the nations, even in 2020 and 2021. To save sinners and change cultures and make mature disciples. I want us to be the kind of people that when people encounter us and they see how weak, and fragile we are and yet how passionate and bold we are for the sake of Jesus, they'll have to say they've been with Jesus. What marks them? They've been with Jesus. This is the people that believe Jesus is real. This is the people that trust his gospel with all their heart. This is the people that's devoted to obedience the citizens of his kingdom. This is the people that love each other with a love I haven't seen before, with the very love that he showed them on the cross. This is the people that's all in to make him known wherever they are, even if they look weird and stupid, they have been with Jesus. Let's be a people that stick close to Christ in his body. Let's be people... That don't love our autonomy, our choice, our individual rights and expression more than we love fellowship with Jesus, obedience to Him, and laying down our rights and preferences for one another. And if you're wondering which preferences you need to lay down, lay down the one that feels most important to you. And love a brother or sister in Christ. I want us to be people so devoted to Jesus that when He calls us to hard things, Or hard places, we would be like the apostles in John 6 that simply say, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So let's take a couple moments together now and just before we take communion together, let's just lay our burdens, lay our idols, lay our distractions at the feet of Jesus and ask Him to come and create a holy 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.